The space race officially began on August 4th, 1957, at 7.28 p.m. Moscow time. That was when Sputnik was launched into orbit as the first artificial satellite, and from that moment, it was on. But when did the space race end? That's a much trickier question, and there's no formal answer. However, I think an excellent case can be made for July 17, 1975. Learn more about the Apollo-Soyuz test program and the handshake that ended the space race on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Hey everyone, this is Gary. If you're listening to this podcast, you clearly are someone who likes to learn every day. And if you want to add a little more learning into your everyday routine, check out TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll hear about some of the big ideas shaping our world. This includes everything from artificial intelligence to the search for dark matter and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream. I've talked many times before about CuriosityStream, but if you still haven't gotten a subscription, you really need to consider doing it. CuriosityStream has thousands of educational and documentary programs covering a wide range of subjects. I personally watch CuriosityStream several times a week, and I've used their programs to get ideas for this podcast, as well as doing show research. You can get an entire year of CuriosityStream for less than $20. It's so cheap that you almost can't afford not to get it. If you're even remotely curious about the world you live in, go to everything-everywhere.com slash CuriosityStream to start your subscription. Once again, that's everything-everywhere.com slash CuriosityStream. If you ask most people when the space race ended, I'm sure most of them would say it ended when Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. This isn't actually a bad answer. This was the primary objective, at least for the Americans, and it was, and still remains, the biggest feat in spaceflight. However, the space race was just as much about geopolitics as it was about spaceflight. When the moon landings took place, it didn't stop the Cold War and the greater competition between the Soviet Union and the United States. It also didn't stop any of the American or Soviet space projects. The U.S. launched six more Apollo missions after Apollo 11. The Soviets continued to set first in space as well. In 1971, they launched the first space station, Salyut 1. They began setting records for the length of time humans spent in space. As the 70s began, the moon race was over and the Vietnam War was winding down. 
the Nixon administration wanted to usher in a period of warmer relations with the Soviet Union, which was known as detente. In May of 1972, the two countries signed the Agreement on Cooperation in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space for Peaceful Purposes. As part of this agreement, both countries agreed to participate in a joint space mission. Each country would launch one of its ships, and they would then dock in space wherever the respective astronauts could greet each other. Officially, it was known as the Apollo-Soyuz Test Project. In theory, the purpose of the mission was to test the ability of different space programs to rendezvous in space, for the ships to dock, and to see if such a system would be possible for future space rescue missions. In reality, it was a very elaborate photo opportunity and publicity stunt. Each country wanted to show the world that they were the good guy and were using space for peaceful purposes. Once the politicians made the decision to create the mission, the job was then passed on to the engineers. The Americans and Soviets both had spacecraft designs which they were using, and the hatches were totally incompatible. The Americans would be using one of the remaining Apollo capsules, which didn't get used when Congress cut funding for future moon missions. The Apollo capsules could seat three astronauts. The Soviets would be using their Soyuz capsule, which was designed to ferry cosmonauts to the Salyut space station. It could only seat two cosmonauts. The engineering teams for both programs had to figure out how to make the two capsule docking systems compatible. Both sides complained about the other side's engineering. The Soviets found the Apollo capsule very technical and confusing. It required highly trained astronauts to operate, and they thought it was dangerous. Likewise, the Americans found the Soviet system too simple with a lack of redundant systems that required too much of the flight to be automated. If one system on the Soyuz capsule were to fail, the entire mission would have to be aborted. In reality, it was just a difference in design philosophy. The Soviet system was cheaper to design and manufacture, and because it was simpler, it didn't require as much training. The Soyuz was only built to travel to Earth orbit, so aborting a mission was always a possibility. The Apollo capsule was designed to go to the moon. You can't easily abort a moon mission and come back to Earth right away. You need to have redundant systems in case something were to go wrong in the way to the moon, like what happened with Apollo 13. In the end, they resolved their differences by creating a docking module, which would be a type of adapter for the two capsules. It was called the Androgynous Peripheral Attach System, or the APAS. Actually, the name sounds sort of odd because they wanted to keep the acronym the same in both Russian and English. So NASA came up with a name that kept the letters APAS, which were the equivalent in Russian Cyrillic. Each ship would carry half of the docking module that would connect to the other ship. They would connect their ships together in a system that was like interlaced fingers. Either side could be passive or active in the docking procedure. The Americans selected three astronauts for the mission. The commander was Thomas Stafford. He had previously flown on Gemini 6, Gemini 9, and he flew around the moon on Apollo 10. The command module pilot was Vance Brand. It was his first space flight, and he later went on to fly three space shuttle missions. The final member of the crew was Deke Slayton. Deke was one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts. However, he was the only one who had never flown in space. He was diagnosed with a heart condition and was grounded. He then became the head of the astronaut office and was responsible for assigning astronauts to missions. One of his last acts was to assign himself to this mission after he was medically cleared. The two Soviet cosmonauts were Valery Kubasov, who had flown on one previous mission and would later fly in one more, and Alexei Lyonov, who was the first person to walk in space. Had the Soviets made an attempt to land on the moon, he would have been their Neil Armstrong. The two teams trained together in both the Soviet Union and the United States. Communications was a huge problem for both crews, because neither crew knew the other's language. 
The Americans took lessons in Russian, and the Russians took lessons in English, but neither could speak the other's language very well. There were many political hurdles that had to be overcome, including the design of the mission patch and even the name of the mission. The Americans called it Apollo-Soyuz, and the Soviets called it Soyuz-Apollo. The patches were mere images of each other, with the Americans having Apollo on the left side and the Soviets having Soyuz on the left side. The big day finally arrived on July 15, 1975. The Soyuz launch was the first space launch ever televised live on Soviet television. The Americans had to use one of its last Saturn 1B rockets, which was also surplus from the Apollo program. The two ships launched within seven hours of each other. Two days later, on July 17th, the two ships rendezvoused and docked. The commanders, Thomas Stafford and Alexei Leonov, came through their respective hatches and shook hands. And this was the conclusion of the space race. The two ships stayed docked together for 44 hours. They undocked and practiced docking several times, they visited each other's ships, traded food and souvenirs, and then went on their way. The Soviets stayed in orbit for two more days and the Americans for another five. It was the last Apollo mission and the official end of the Apollo program. The Americans wouldn't launch another person into orbit for six years until the space shuttle program started in 1981. The actual capsules used in the mission are located today in Los Angeles and Moscow. There's a full-size mock-up that was used for training, which is on display at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. The Apollo-Soyuz mission isn't very well known. It was conducted mostly for publicity, and despite the docking, it didn't really advance the field of spaceflight very much. However, as modest as it was, it laid the foundation for future collaborative space projects, which would eventually culminate in the International Space Station. The associate producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Thor Thompson. If you'd like to support the show, please donate over at Patreon.com. There is content only available to supporters, merchandise, and even opportunities for a show producer credit. If you know someone you think would enjoy the show, please share it with them. Also remember, if you leave a five-star review, I'll read your review on the show.